Welcome to The Young and the Weary, the podcast where we explore life and comedy through the eyes of me, Jeremy Pinsley, a 32-year-old stand-up comedian from Nashville, Tennessee, and Dev Rogers, an 88-year-old comedic actress living here in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. That's it, said 88 years old. Oh, it's bagel time. Oy vey. How are you feeling today, Dev? Uh, if I speak to you in Yiddish, it's a mistake, but I fell this morning, and I'm still 88, and in February, I'm going to be 89, and there's no way to, this progression is a little, uh, has to be accepted. Well, I imagine you're probably the only 88-year-old doing a podcast right now. Are you excited to be doing this podcast? I'm delighted, not just excited. Delighted and excited rhyme. Yes, thank you very much for, uh for making something possible in the world of today. Yeah, well, you're making it possible, too. Do you, did you know what a podcast was before we even started no, doing I'm this? No, I'm not sure I know what it is now, but I'll get <laughs> educated. Perfect. I guess we'll just figure it out as we go. It's basically a show we're just talking to each other. So. Oh, that's... And that's called... A, it gives it the name of a podcast. When you get a name, it elevates what's going on. Did you know that? I guess. Can you explain that further? No, not right now. I'm going to... Age a little bit more, and then I'll tell you some more stories. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Well, we'd love to hear a story from you because I don't know um, if that many people know who you are. Do you like what's something that nobody knows about you? Well, I was raised. Well, I was raised a Jew, but I tell everybody that. Um, <laughs> but I didn't have bacon until I was in uh, college, and uh, it was a transgressive event. And uh, I just took one bite, and I said, it's not for me. You didn't like it? No. I, and then I said in Yiddish, Ich bin a Yid. Ich kann es essen. Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> Could you please translate for the rest of us? I'm a Jew. I don't eat, I can't eat bacon. Maybe I don't eat, or I can't eat. It's prohibitive, prohibitive. You know, if it's something you don't grow up with, you don't have a real feeling for it. I mean, I have a feeling for lox and bagels. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's definitely kosher. <laughs> it, it has a Jewish... Do they know that it has a Jewish history? I don't know if it's shared with them. I think it does. It, what, made, what made you try bacon? If you weren't allowed to have it as a kid, why did you... Well, I was in college in the, in the, in the, you know, in the eating of a, cl- a classmate's home. And when you go to college, you're, you're, they're goyim as well as Jews. And so this happened to be in a Goyesha household. So you figure, well, if this is what they're serving, you'll try. So you take a knife and you take a small piece and you smile. And that was it. The beginning and the end of the uh, the non-kosher life. <laughs> but you didn't keep it up. Did you stay kosher after that? Well, I started to stay kosher, but then I married a Goy. You know my story where I married a Goy and never became a boy? You know, I'm... The Jewish female, I don't know that story. <laughs> Jewish female geriatric rap, yeah. I was born a Jew, what could I do? Live. <laughs> Wait, you're a rapper? I, you never become a rapper from writing one rap. I have to write more, but perhaps this group could... <laughs> could, could <laughs> the could, Deb could, album coming out in could, a few months? Could yield a rap. Is there some way that, you know, now that there are one, two, three... There are five of us, five eligible to make a rap come up. Out of this eating in the dining room, and there's bagel and lox, and there's nothing goyish here, is there? Oh, okay. <laughs> so you married a goy, and your mom didn't like that? She asked him if he was willing to convert. 
And he said, convert from what? He was raised in a mission station in Kenya with missionaries. Didn't give him enough of an identity to feel he had something that had to be salvaged. So he hasn't salvaged anything in 50 years of marriage. He salvaged nothing in that time? I don't interview him about that. Oh, well, maybe we'll have to have Bruce on the podcast at some time. <laughs> well, when you have two kids with, with a boy, then... And interestingly enough, that the, the, the boy became a, a, a teacher in, in kindergarten, and he has a daughter who... Up, you do things because you have friends, so she had friends who were Jews. So she had a bat mitzvah at 12. So we went up to see her. There were no bat mitzvahs when I was growing up. Everything was male-dominated. Did you hear that? You heard that. (laughs) I grew up in a male-dominated... I had a brother four years older who made it clear that they should have taken me back to the hospital in the regret for years that he didn't do it. (laughs) Oh, God, that is intense. It was an intense household. Uh, And my mother favored him because he was a boy. It validated her. I don't know what the hell I did for her. But, uh, well, when I got accepted to Vassar in college, at least it gave me some stature. But I got accepted because there were Vassar alumni playing outside the house, so they, uh, they gave me a scholarship. Isn't that amazing what can happen in a life that you didn't determine or ask for? Or, I, I mean, I didn't determine that I was going to get old so fast. But you know, aging is... <laughs> I, think, I thought it happened at the same pace for all of us. Yeah, but subjectively, it gets altered because you feel you haven't managed something. Uh, that's why you have to be funny when you get older, because there's, there's no alternatives. I mean, all, all you can do is either fall or be funny. Well, if you've got that kind of a choice, humor is preferable to falling. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. I love that. So that's what this podcast is about. It's about keeping you from falling. Yeah. That's being funny. That's right. No more falling, Deb. We're keeping you on your feet. Uh, <laughs> or sitting on your tuchus, Deb. Okay. Oh, you can sit on your tuchus. <laughs> that could be. That's the only Yiddish word we don't need to be translated. That's right. Everybody knows tuchus. What is there about you that nobody knows? Hmm. There's quite a few things. But when I was a uh, little kid, I used to play the violin. And one time I was in a lesson It was a group lesson, so there was like a bunch of kids. And I peed myself in the middle of a song. But were you able to act as if nothing happened? I thought. (laughs) I I thought that's what was going to be the case. (laughs) What was the case? The case was everyone knew immediately, because that's what happens when you pee your khaki pants. (laughs) What, the smell of the spot or the what? It was was the gushing of fluid out of my pants. Uh, So it got on the floor? It did. It was like, well, my mindset, and I remember, so we were playing a song, like, in a group, and I was, I had to pee early on in the song, but I was like, we got to get to the end of this, so I'm going to make it to the end, and I'm going to pee. I had to go so bad that my game plan was like, if I just pee now, my underwear is going to absorb everything, and I'm going to be... You really believe that? I was five years old. I believed it. (laughs) It's the story I told myself. (laughs) And what then did really happen? The whole class shut down. My t- the parents were like, oh, my God. And my teacher just, like, had her head in my hands. And my stepdad, it was my stepdad who was there. Normally my mom takes me there. But he's just like, really, the one time I take you, you have to pee all over yourself. He said that to you? Uh, no, I'm kind of taking what I thought he was thinking. Oh, because he didn't really make it worse with 
something like that. Yeah, yeah. He just I could visibly see in his face that he was like, really? And then he had to like, I was like crying at that point. And he's, I was at Vanderbilt University in Nashville. And did you tell me again how old you were? I was like five, maybe six, but I think about I guess it's expected that you have control at that age. Yeah, I mean, I was at school at that point, so, you know, once you start going to school, that's Then you have a schedule, right? Yeah, and uh, I guess I learned my lesson. I don't think I peed myself after that until college. You did it in college? <laughs> yeah, a couple times. What are you going to do? You know, life... Can we have those, or do we have to interview you again? Can we have... What do you... Uh, I wanted your college peeing. I don't know if the stories are... <laughs> Uh, one time I was just, I was at like a campfire and I was drunk and there was like 60 of our friends hanging out. We were in Auburn for like an Auburn Georgia game and I just thought it would be hilarious. I was like, Hey guys, guess what? And I just started peeing my pants like intentionally. Intentionally. Yeah. I was like super Everybody drunk. found it funny? Uh, my friends did. I don't know if the girls found it funny, but. Girls don't like boys who pee in their pants. You know? <laughs> yeah. I really, I was around a very comfortable group at that point. So I wasn't too concerned about like. The, what everyone was thinking. So instead of running off to find a toilet, you just did that? I mean, you could have had it. It was a spect- It was for me, drunk. I was like, this is going to be hilarious. <laughs> oh, was it? For me it, for me and my friends, I, yes. And that's where humor started in your life? <laughs> that, I, as soon as I peed my pants, I knew comedy was the answer. <laughs> I, do we have exchanges that capture that history? I have pictures of me in college. With I have the peeing my pants picture. Yes, I actually do have that. If, if you could bring it next time. <laughs> I don't know if I need you to actually see the visual, but maybe it's better. I, visuals are always better than verbals, you know, <laughs> than auditory. Yeah, or maybe both it's... together, both the visuals and auditory help. Yeah, well, I'll bring that picture in, and then you can let me know what you think. But All right. I haven't peed my pants uh, since then, so... I don't remember peeing in my pants. must be part of the repression of memory. <laughs> so you discovered your sense of humor really late in life or yeah, that you wanted very. to get into comedy. How did that, what inspired that? Well, I took a comedy class at one-on-one with Jody Collins. And something inspired me to go there. Uh, and, and the millennials in her class thought I was funny. And that did it. You have an, an audience that thinks you're funny... Then, then you've got an identity. What kind of identity do you have before that? Don't even answer that unless you have some conjectures. <laughs> but uh, So you don't see yourself having an identity before you decided that, found that people found you funny? No, well, I worked in health planning, and I worked as an occupational therapist, and but that stopped when I was 80, and I only fell into this uh, about two years, of one, or one or two years ago. That's so interesting, though. So you're, did people find you funny before, like... You're clearly well, funny. Yeah. Well, I, I, this was in front of a class, and the class laughed, and I thought, it's, it gives me an identity. I don't know if anybody found me funny before, or if they did, they felt they couldn't say anything because I wouldn't take it right. You can spend a half of your life not taking right what people c- could possibly say to you. I, I won't demonstrate today. But we could make an appointment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll figure something out. <laughs> That's what time gives you a way to figure out. And also somebody to figure it out with. So now that you're my grandson, I don't remember, <laughs> you're the child of my daughter. And she was in her mid-40s when she had you. And <laughs> oh, I like the story. It, it was a late development. 
and uh, it was sort of, but the fact that you were a boy in a Jewish household made you a gift. When I was born, the firstborn was um, in, in the household of, of immigrants from the Ukraine. Uh, the firstborn was a boy. That's what the Jews want. They want boys. And nobody, do, do the Goyim want girls? I don't even know who wants girls. Uh, I want girls. I picture myself being that dad with like four girls. Oh. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if we can make that work. Yeah, yeah. Four girls. And how old are you now? I'm 31. Well, then you better get it. Get yourself a sign, right? Because uh, four girls, each girl's going to want at least two years of attention. And you don't. Oh, want that's to- it. Just a limited two, and then <laughs> off you go. No, it doesn't go. It just moves over, and then who's who's the childbearing woman in your life? Uh, well, I guess yeah. We need to put the. Uh, all the pieces in place first. We need to find her first, then we'll go with the four girls. Is, is this the kind of woman who goes to comedy shows and would think that you were available? Um, I'm not not open to those type of people. You do meet a lot of girls doing comedy, you know. You're going out every night. It's terrific. And it's great, because if they like your comedy, then you've basically sold yourself right off the bat. Oh, wow. It saves a lot of time. It's kind of nice. Well, you- I'm not sure about saving time because it takes time to make a relationship work. But, uh, and, and at this point, you're premarital? Yes, I'm premarital. I guess it, <laughs> pre, to my mom's dismay, I'm working on it. I'm working on it, okay? Yeah, I'm, I'm postmarital. Yes. Over 50 years of marriage to, this, to the man I met who was playing in a quartet, so I went to hear the music at the new school and didn't go on a hike. Um, at least I remember that. <laughs> That's always a plus. <laughs> well, his what does he think about your comedy? Uh, I've career? never interviewed him. But you've told him about like the classes, and you've been getting auditions recently because you have a manager. Yeah. And just to clarify for everyone, so the reason this podcast even came to be is that you and I have the same manager, and I had been looking to do a podcast, and she had this genius idea. She was like, "What about this eighty-eight-year-old woman who just started doing comedy?" Like. And we were like, what a perfect balance of different points of view to come together and see what we can find funny in life. Are we doing that now? I think, <laughs> I think that's the attempt. That's the overall yeah, goal. Yeah, we must be doing that now because there, when you get this old, there's now. That's what there is in life is now. Was there an event that like inspired you to get into comedy? Because it seems kind of out of the blue that you're living your whole life and then you're 85 and you're like, I'm going to take a comedy class. No, you're... I haven't tried to understand that. Well, cancer gave me permission. Wait, can you say that one more? Can you say that one more time? Cancer gave me permission in two thousand breast cancer and and uh, and simple surgery known as SS, and uh, so I went to the neighborhood playhouse. I must have been the oldest person there, but they need people to come and pay. If you're paying for something, you're much more welcome. <laughs> Whether you're old or young, this uh, and th- that's not a criticism so much as a as a description of the capitalist society we're in now, and um, so that uh, having found the neighborhood and I, how I found it uh, is another. There are lots of stories that got lost in this eighty-eight year old brain, and it isn't as if I know how to recapture them because uh, if there's another story falling out. It doesn't fall in my lap. <laughs> it falls off the table. <laughs> so that uh, 
being in a com so I I went into the comedy class. And that was when I found that there can still be an identity after all these years. <laughs> well, you said that cancer gave you permission, right? Like what? Cancer gave me permission. In what to way? Be, well, to go into a in, into a comedy class as an old lady. You didn't feel like you had that permission before you had cancer earlier. Yeah, I probably felt so bizarre that I needed permission somehow, so I yoked cancer into it. <laughs> and from the year two thousand, and then. Um, you know, a simple, simple surgery. And uh, so now what am I doing with myself? Well, I, I must have run into somebody who was the sample of somebody who solved it this way. But memory doesn't help you. I don't know how you can hire it. How can you recompense it? Uh, it it's it's like falling off the table. And we the word falling is already an old word in my life. Having fallen a couple times and I had two... Two hip replacements, two knee replacements, one knee replacement. So my joke was, if somebody gives me a free lobotomy, I take it. <laughs> <laughs> no, because it doesn't get covered by insurance. <laughs> Lobotomies still haven't been covered by insurance. I don't know who's working on that. But uh, it doesn't is, seem like anybody at this point. This but. is a society that's able to work on everything to become insurance because uh, that's money. And... Uh, well, anyway, so you fell into comedy. Yeah, I didn't have I didn't have anything like cancer coming to my life. Uh, I knew at a younger age. I guess it took me a long time though, because I grew up in an environment that was I went to like private school, and it was all about you know you get the good education, you get the good job, you get married, you make money, you have a family. You grew up in a rich family. Yes. Were they born in this country? The, yeah, my yes, all my parents were. See, and I had parents from elsewhere. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they, I was at first I was a finance major when I went to college. I just kind of was like going through the motions of what I thought I was supposed to do with my life. Then I got a job in marketing, and I mean I didn't hate it. Like it was fun. I like liked the people, and I was doing really well at it, but. I remember halfway through, I was like looking at an older guy in the company and I was like, he looked miserable. And I was like, it doesn't look like I'm going to be any happier in 20 years doing this. Like I'm a creative for a marketing agency, but I'm really just helping State Farm sell insurance. So I kind of like... That's not just, you know, because it pays you somehow, it keeps you alive. Yeah. So there, there was obviously a lot more to that. It, it validated me. I grew up in the recession. So when I got a job, it was like, you have a job out of college? That's incredible. And I was thankful and grateful for all of that. But there was something in me that was like, just realizing that, like, I had never thought about life this way, but what you do for your life is what you do for the rest of your life. Uh. And I didn't want to do finance and I didn't want to do marketing. And then I remember a friend of mine came up to me and she had a magazine article for an open mic, which if you don't know what an open mic is, it's just... Yeah, you stand up and they let you just say whatever you want to say for a short time. Exactly. So my friend, who was a girlfriend with of mine... With strangers. With, oh. with strangers, who are usually all comics, so it's kind of a weird crowd, because it's... They affirm you. <laughs> or they don't, because half of those kids are, like, thinking about their own jokes. It can be a weird room to be at an open mic. But uh, the moral of the story is my friend showed me this magazine article, and she was like, you should do this. I was like, what are you talking about? I had never even... I love stand-up. I was a huge stand-up fan. I loved Dave Chappelle... 
George Carlin, Brian Regan. Like, I, I mean, I would li listen to that stuff religiously. And I had always been funny, like in my everyday life. You know, like when I had my bar mitzvah, we had to give a speech and like my whole goal was just to be funny during that speech. So I just wrote jokes all the way through. How'd your parents take that? They loved it. Like I, that was always my favorite part was like they would all, they were proud because you see, I mean, you would go to 20 bar mitzvahs in a year because when you're that bar that mitzvah, age, age, yeah. everyone in your class is having it. So my mom was like when she sees me up there and having confidence to go up there and be funny and pulling it off. I think she just was like, oh, that's my son. <laughs> oh, she adored me. All the, like my mom was like, I don't care what you do. I love you no matter what. Like she, I played tennis as a kid and she used to take me to tennis tournaments and she, like most moms, tennis moms are like, you're going to win. You got to do this. My mom was like, please lose. I am sick of driving out to this place. <laughs> so Did she, you win at all? I, I've lost in the semifinals of this one tournament, but every, so that was like eight matches I had to play and she had to drive me an hour and 15 minutes out each day to take me to these matches. So I was grateful for her for that. But, so from then I was funny during my bar mitzvah, then I went to college and I was, I was in a fraternity in college and I was assigned this position called Jolly Beta. Jolly Beta? What's a beta? A beta, I was, that's the name of the fraternity. Oh, yeah. It was Beta, Theta Pi. So, my job was to be funny every week. And, like, I didn't, like, school, I didn't care about finance, I didn't get motivated for classes, but to write this funny thing every week about the guys in the fraternity, like, that was gold for me. So I would just go out there every week and just roast the fraternity. And eventually people were coming to our chapter just to hear what I had to say. So I so think that was... Got, so you, got a, you developed an audience too as well. I think that was my first real validation as far as like people are paying attention. Yeah. You know, and then from there, like I didn't think much of it. And then it just took getting to my job and putting all the pieces together. And I was like... I remember I was in the shower one day. I was miserable going to work. And I was taking an improv class just for fun. Ah, they're great. Yeah, I think that was like my way of slowly like getting into comedy. So I had so much fun in this class. I was like waiting for work to end just so I could get there. This and is, then This is Nashville. This is in Dallas. Dallas. So after, I grew up in Nashville. But after I graduated college at the University of Georgia, I flew. I lived in Dallas. That's where I got my job. Yeah. So I... I remember I was in the shower this one morning and I was just dreading work. It was like Monday, like seven o'clock in the morning. I'm just like not figuring out how I'm going to do it. And I kind of had this epiphany thinking about the class. And I was like, you're going to become a comedian. And it like brought a smile to my face. It's like a religious experience without a church behind you. Yeah, exactly. Especially for someone not being very religious. I needed something like that. Well, you were bar mitzvah. Yeah, I was bar mitzvah. Yeah. No, no. You're okay. You're kosher. <laughs> yeah, it didn't, but it wasn't necessarily religious i wasn't like so tied to the religion part of it i was just well you were affirmed by your tradition and your family yeah so they didn't have that for girls so there was no affirmation for girls would you have liked to have had a bat mitzvah it wasn't open at the age of 88 if i look back to the years of being 13 or 12 or 14 the world hadn't changed enough with feminism to introduce bat mitzvah into the, the picture. That means there's a lot of progress now. Are there a lot of girls getting bat mitzvah? Oh, yeah. Every girl in my family was bat mitzvah. See that? The, I have to grasp how the world has changed instead of just just 
focusing on uh, problems. Uh, Amen. Well, maybe that's what happens. When you start out being a female who's, who's less than nothing, and then when my brother teased me and I complained, my father took off his belt and hit him. He didn't educate him. He hit him. So I see this scene in my parents' bedroom, and he's on the, on, on the, on the satin coverlet, and uh, he's, he's running up. And my father's after him. It isn't like they could tell him, listen, can you try to talk a little nicer maybe or not talk at all? <laughs> See, there was no educational force. It was just, uh... so no wonder, you know, if, if he's teasing me and he gets punished, that increases the, the power of the teasing. That's where he had some power in order to get, <laughs> well, attention. Punishment is an attention. Do we have that here? Is there any punishment and intention in this group at all? Can we work on it? <laughs> Is there, you want to get punished? Is that what you're asking? Oh, no, I think I'd like to deliver it, but I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you, you turn 88, you have... Dev the Dom. Better watch out. <laughs> you turn 88, there's things that are more feasible, like uh, forgetting half your life and then thinking, well, maybe, maybe humor is an avenue uh, out of the reality that hasn't been such a terrific reality. <laughs> Although uh, I, I did that in the, in the middle of my rap, you know, but, or the end of it, I was like, so I married a boy, but I never became a boy. And that, that's it. If, and then I have this joking notion once in a while that doesn't ever get discussed. What if I went to a surgeon and he found somebody who was a donor who was almost dying but still feasible. I mean, we could have a real story out of it. And Are you then, saying you want to become a man? Is that what you're saying? Is it, it's too late, right? No, it could, I, think it's, I think it can still happen. It's, surgery has progressed. Yes, we live in a sophisticated world. I'd have to find some, Maybe my humor will help me to, with you um, to, for somebody to find us. I was even thinking... Shall I get pregnant at the age of eighty-eight? Now I'm thinking, should should I should I get a penis to replace what I seem to have been born with? But I don't think either of those will, are going to answer anything. That's why I fell in. That's why you fall into comedy because the reality doesn't offer such great alternatives. Did you notice that reality doesn't offer such? Well, maybe you have to age more. Possibly, I didn't know. I didn't know it came down to comedy or transsexuality. <laughs> that was the real balance of life. <laughs> well, there's there's a lot more. Sexuality seems to be a much more open subject, and nowadays uh, you can marry somebody in the same gender. Um, nobody's marrying the dog. <laughs> Actually, some woman married a pizza. I saw that somewhere. What? Yeah, some woman married a pizza. So, but she, then she ate her marital partner. <laughs> You have to ask her. I don't know. A lot of wives killing their husbands these days. I don't know. <laughs> Where did you see a woman married a pizza? She married a pizza. I saw an article about it like a few months ago. How did the pizza sign the license? I don't know. I read an article. I probably need to look. At, maybe I've read some fake news. Who knows? But I liked to believe it, and I'm going to assume for the rest of my life that this woman married a pizza. So what was it like uh, your first time getting on stage and doing your rap? Well, you're funny and people are finding you funny. Look at the focus that you developed and you earned. Ugh, after a whole life of marginal living, it was terrific. It was just terrific. <laughs> so the people in the audience liked it. Yeah. 
And like, was that a feeling? Like, have you felt a feeling like that before? I don't think so. So by the every time you get up and, and you're and you're funny or you're on a stage or whatever, whatever carrying on like, at, at that that affirms you. You you're somebody. You start out your life being a marginal, not quite nobody. And it's a long journey to be funny in the eighties and and invalidated. <laughs> well, so don't feel sorry for yourself because it's only because you're funny. Um, you're also peculiar. You're not in a category where there are a lot of others that are doing the same thing as you. In fact, I'm not sure I'm in a category. Or there are others. Any other 88-year-olds who are comics? Uh, I don't know. I think there's older people doing comedy for sure, but I don't know how many 88-year-olds are doing a podcast, so yeah. you might be the only one of those. Well, see, then, then you're, 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 you're breaking into the world. Never mind how long you waited and how you spent years feeling sorry for yourself and needing a rescue. So that comedy became a rescue. <laughs> that's unbelievable. And I mean, it's, I think that's probably inspiring to a lot of people that it's really never too late to start. You started in your 80s and you're actually having a, you're booking auditions. You have a manager. Yeah. So it's kind of an amazing. We're all, we're all very it proud is. of you, Deb. Yeah. Well, I left the world of occupational therapy when I was 80. And I retired from working with the, uh, as the occupational therapist at the Jewish Guild for the Blind. So then what do you do? You don't necessarily, this isn't the city you wander the streets trying to figure yourself out. <laughs> and, um, and, and so you fall into one thing or you fall into another. And, and now I got luck. Amen. We're happy to be a part real, of that luck. Real luck. I can't wait to see how you develop and where you go from here. Yeah, wow. I'm, I'm happy for you because my first time performing, I don't think, was as good as yours <laughs> it was uh so i was working i was in marketing in dallas at the time and i had already made the decision to quit and i was going to move to new york and i was basically just going to kind of figure out comedy as i just needed to shift my life but to prove to my co-workers that i wasn't crazy i was like All right, i'm gonna do a show for you guys so there was like a club underneath our office building and it was like a really interesting place it was like miami vice like <laughs> neon pink and like blue and green um mostly black people went there it was kind of an interesting juxtaposition from our office which was mostly white and then you go down here and it's like a culture shift um so we would go to this place hang out all the time just for drinks they had a meatball buffet so how could you say no (laughs) and uh so i went up to the owner one time and i was just like hey um I can get like 60 people down here for a show can you just like give me that dj's microphone and i'll just like do some comedy here in a couple of days. And he was like, totally. He had no problem with it. And I was like, I, I mean, he just heard that I was going to bring 60 people. So he was yeah, like, yeah, well, I don't really. You validated yourself with the numbers, but it then carried over into the, your identity. Yeah. And so this guy yeah. had no, he probably thought I knew what I was doing, but I was like, like when you do, when you go to a typical comedy show, there's a host, there is, you know, feature acts and a headliner, or there's a bunch of people doing 10 minutes but it's like an environment that needs to be created, right? You need right. a spotlight. You need the right setting. Right. I just went in there and just like grabbed a microphone and was like, let's just talk to these people. And like 60 of the people were there for me. And then there was about 20 people that couldn't, could, could care less what I had to say. But they were just there. And I was like, oh, they'll, they'll, they'll just like it. So I went up there and started doing my jokes. And the first five minutes went pretty good. Uh, I had like one joke about being Jewish and wanting to play basketball. And I was like, I'd be like, 
people would call me Air Juden, and my mascot would just be me dumping a bagel into some cream cheese. And so, like, that kind of stuff got some laughs or giggles, and then I went on for, like, 15 minutes, and it kind of went off track, off the rails, and... Eventually, the owner of the re- of the club just came up to me and just took the microphone out of my hand <laughs> in the middle of it. And like, I think on one part of it is like that should have been totally discouraging. I understand. That's what I thought. It should have been like, "What have you done?" But I'll, and in my mind, I was like, "I did it! I did the comedy!" <laughs> like, it was so, like my coworkers were like, "Yeah, good luck in New York, buddy. That's gonna go really good for you." It is a tremendous shift. Phenomenal, phenomenal. Because I would didn't retired since I was eighty. Never mind, an occupational therapist became funny, or a health planner became funny. But uh, it's it's a, like a life miracle that opens something that you hadn't thought of before, but has a way of out to move through the opening. Hmm. Exactly. As soon as you see a little bit of that light, it's like I can go there. I can go towards that. It's amazing. So you had, these are known as epiphanies when you have life-changing experiences. I don't think I had one epiphany. I may have had a couple of broken ones (laughs) along the way. Uh, But but here we are. And and I'm I'm your grandmother. (laughs) Just to clarify, she's not actually my grandmother. (laughs) We're working on it. We're working on it. I have my, my two other grandmothers are not here, so you can be my surrogate grandmother in the meantime. Well, it's, it's hardly a noble uh, adjustment, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're my bubby, and I love you. Oh, that's it. And you're my kind, <laughs> and I love you. Oh, it's beautiful, Dev. Well, uh, part of this journey and this experience is enlightening you about what's going on in the comedy world because you know I grew up with access to comedy I've been watching comedy specials as a kid did you have any influences when you were younger no you didn't well you didn't go anywhere by yourself you went with somebody and who else did I know there wasn't in Buffalo no no so then when I went on to Vassar uh for a couple of years and then changed to Buffalo. But there was, I don't know how comedy, you're right, I don't know how comedy came up in my life. Isn't that a subject? Yeah, it is. That's kind of like the subject of this podcast. And so each week I'm going to meet with you and we're going to give you homework. Okay, I accept that because I'm not in school anymore. I'm yeah, not, are you ready for homework I again? Big, a big, I have a big hole in my life so that you're, you're going to fill it with homework. You're going to fill that hole with homework. <laughs> it's going to be exciting. So we're going to, this week, what we want you to do is set up a Twitter account. Oh, I, I don't, I've never looked at Twitter. I mean, I, th- I think those social media are really to distract you from talking to a real person somewhere. And then, <laughs> um, you know, and it gives you this feeling of affirmation, but you, you didn't have to deal with somebody. It's, it's an anti-person kind of development to, to take up the brain. But I do find when I use my iPhone and if I look at... Uh, a safari, and then I look at it. The iPhone is can you know can can make it easier for you to have something to come into your system than to deal with a human being who's got their own agendas. I mean that's true. It's definitely a problem, and people are hooked to their phones. But I think part of it is it's just like anything where you you can use it if you don't let yourself get addicted to it. So I don't look at social media is bad. I look at the way that we abuse it. That's bad. So 
For you, I think it can be something beneficial because if we set up a Twitter account for you, oh wow, you're sitting here. I haven't looked at anybody twit. Twit. <laughs> Maybe that's an, a more appropriate term. A twit. Everything's a twit. <laughs> uh, well, so we're gonna. I'm gonna show you all that so you okay. can kind of see. You can follow your fate. Like, if there's anyone you find funny, if there's any news that you listen to, you can get your news through it. So while yes, I understand what you're saying that it can be negative. There's also a lot of positives that can come from it. Well, I haven't learned enough to get positives coming back. So that, I, all right, so I'll look at email. And, and there's stuff, people get in touch with you with email who don't otherwise. Like, how about phoning me, telephone? I have a phone on my iPhone, and I have a phone in my house. <laughs> that's great you got a phone on your iPhone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's what this is about. So you don't know about it, but we're going to educate you. And this, the... the there's a lot of the world now I don't know how to manage because it's all gone automations and all, you know, and there are all these tricks of machinery. And I think it's so that you don't sit down and talk to a human being, but you're <laughs> using a machine. I think it's the seduction of the people in charge. You notice my voice went down in a <laughs> post-hostile state. But, uh, but it, it's still something that's so common that you need to be able to, to use it. To It'll, be able to use something means you need an education, and you're at least to understand it. It helps to understand it before making too many opinions about it. So we're going to at least introduce you, and you're going to write a few jokes, and that's right. kind of the fun. Is you're sitting here at home, it's hard for you to move, go places. When you're bored, you go online, and now you can create material and content, and you can send it out. Wow. So we're going to educate you on Twitter. You're going to set up an account. You're going to tweet some tweets. I'm going to come over here. I'm going to make it all easy for you so you don't have to worry about that. I, I think I got lucky, really, in today's America because otherwise, where would I be? Uh, oh, maybe, you know, exercising in the park with others of the same age. And then I have a swimming class at the Jewish Community Center. But this is, I, I recognize this as luck to have some way to enter into today's world. A piece of... You have to know when you're lucky when you've lived your whole life and thought you weren't. Hmm. It's really... Uh, yeah. Wow, this is going to replace the... Uh, my, my early history. The negative thoughts, exactly. My early history. Some people call it luck. Some people call it serendipity. So I believe it all, you know... It all is. Yeah, you're right. So, so humor led to the development of this... Exactly. Instead of living this life at the aging margin, it's known as an aging margin, and um, they're swimming at, with old people at the, the Jewish Community Center, but at least it's water. And, uh, <laughs> and I have to put in the luck that I've been married to a man who helps me a lot, gets food in the house, because I've met women who are alone, and it's, it's tough. It's tough. You don't have uh, supports, and uh, after such a life, I'm lucky. I now have everybody here. I have Bruce Rogers, and I have two kids. I have, it's a big adjustment for somebody who just spent too much time thinking about her early years. Hmm. Well, we can all break free from our past if we surround ourselves in the right people, and let's get through it. It's oh, going to be a beautiful journey. It's it's. It's terrific to get someone. This is not the kind of help, you know, like going to an analyst and talking about the tourists and then coming back and thinking, well, at least I opened up a bit of a window or a breathing air or something. But this is uh, this is substantial. 
This isn't marginal private. It's phenomenal. Amen, Dad. I'm so proud of you, and I can't. What are your, do you have? What are your career aspirations from here on out? What's the goal? To be funny full time. Would you want to be a stand-up comic? Sure. We're gonna make that happen. They may want let me sit down for a while too. <laughs> we'll give you a chair. You can take the row later up there, but we'll. Oh, yeah. um, I'll take you to like open mics and then shows. And oh, we'll, that's oh, that's really. And eventually, hopefully opening we'll get, up the world—that's just marvelous. The thing about the rollator is got a seat on it, so that if you go someplace it's crowded and people are standing, you don't have to. <laughs> you got to know what's working in your life, uh, besides what you think might be your brain, or but this this is working in the life. This here. Couldn't this agree more. Today. I love you, Dev. Um, we're going to keep doing this every week. Oh. And uh, until then, you're going to do your homework this week. Yeah. Uh, you're going to do Twitter. We're going to look at some comedy. And, uh, and until next time, sure. let's always remember to stay happy, stay funny. And uh, stay alive. <laughs> Amen.